You know, so what else can we pile on 2020? I don't know. I don't know. Hurricane season's coming up. Yay! <laughs> I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert! All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You Starfleet officers! Now start acting like it! Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple, Garrick. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Bloody hell. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast, a Two True Freaks presentation. Today's episode is looking at Inter Armor Enim Silent Lieges. A moment that will change Cisco's life forever. Her greatest trial is about to begin. A secret that could turn the tides of war once and for all on the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Which is Season 7, Episode 16, written by Ronald D. Moore and directed by David Livingston. But before we get to that auspicious episode, the final one before we hit the home stretch, I am ever. I'm Andrew Leyland, and I am joined on my journey through the wormhole by a, a number of illustrious podcasting entities. Not wormhole. And the three of us. And you three losers, yeah. Dr. <laughs> Bill Robinson. Yes, yes. Mr. Paul Spataro. How you doing? How you doing? I'm mocking here! <laughs> You're mocking here? What? Well, yeah, I can do that as that's, well. That's, Bill's, that's, that's Andy's attempt to do a Brooklyn accent. I'm mocking here! Alright, no, that's that's completely different. Use, use guys. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's, it's almost like I'm listening to a recording of myself. <laughs> And Senator David Pascarella. Just call me Cicero, please. <laughs> um, I, I don't. I don't think there's any news, is there? No. I mean, Star Trek news. You know, well, lots of the other news. There's yeah. plenty of news, just not good news. It's I heard the news today. Oh boy. Oh boy. I watched the Quantum Leap last night, actually, on a marathon. I was watching Chuck and Scott Bakula was in it. And he said, oh, boy. I actually, it was like a, it was like the Scott Bakula, I don't know what happened. Three different channels on my local channels. I turned on one. It's like, oh, Quantum Leap Marathon. I flip a few channels. Oh, it's a, a episode of Enterprise. I flip two, two more channels. It's NCIS New Orleans. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? It's like Bacula's all Bakula taking all over. the time. Once you Stop, go back, you you never go back. Service. <laughs> They're starting their own streaming streaming service with just Scott Bakula. I could live with that. Yeah. It'd mean reruns of Murphy Brown, though, wouldn't it? I guess you'd have to include that in there. I didn't think Murphy Brown was a bad show. I, by the time Bakula was on it, though, I was no longer watching. Never watched it. 
I don't think I watched more than one, so I wouldn't know. It was alright. It's just you know, it's a typical sitcom with some political crap in it. We are not a Murphy Brown podcast. Sadly. Not sadly, depending on your point of view. We are a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast, and I don't know that there is anything interesting happening in the world of Star Trek at this moment in time. So we will move on to our episode. It's got a good guest cast, this one. Oh, yeah. Andrew Robinson's back as, as Garrick, briefly. Barry Jenner's back as Admiral Ross. William Sadler's back as Luther Sloan. But more interesting, Adrienne Barbo takes over as Kretak. Mm-hmm. And she was so much better than the, the big piece of wood that used to play her. Yeah. The, the one that used to play her was a fake. <laughs> <laughs> you are failing. <laughs> So let's go into this overwrought synopsis that uh, Wikipedia has written, and we'll what? give it a, a, a John Fleck. I love John Fleck. Is, was he not? Was he not the Joker? He was Koval. All oh, right, that was Arthur Fleck, he, wasn't it? Yeah, Fleck. Did you get that subtle Arthur joke Fleck. in that film? Yeah. Yeah. I thought he was the main character from A Bug's Life. <laughs> John Fleck has played numerous characters on Star Trek. Different it. it Iterations. I believe he was the head Sulaban guy on uh, Enterprise, if I don't, if I remember correctly. But anyway, go ahead. Anyway, Julian Bashir proposed to go to a conference on Romulus, and Luther Sloan shows up in his quarters with a Section Thirty-One assignment. He's a Luther, but he's not played by Idris Elba, which is a shame. Bashir boards the USS Bellafront, where Sloan explains that the assignment. That's the one. The assignment is to confirm the rumor that Koval, the anti-Federation head of the secretive Tal Shiar Romulan Intelligence Agency and a candidate for a seat on a powerful Senate committee, suffers from Tuvan syndrome, a condition that primarily affects Vulcans and Romulans. Use a full stop, dudes. Bashir discusses the issue with Admiral Ross. Ross says it would be better if Federation-friendly Senator Kretak gained the empty seat on the continuing committee as she publicly supports the alliance against the Dominion. Koval seeks out Bashir at the conference and asks about the disease called the Quickening, when a stroke of the sword and the fall of the head will bring about the power of the Reckoning, or whatever all that shit was, which the Dominion introduced to a planet in the Gamma Quadrant, and now that could be introduced to a planetary population. Bashir chose a symposium on the subject, which sounds fascinating, and later tells Sloan that he believes Koval does have Tuvan syndrome, although he does express concerns that the head of the Tal Shiar is asking so many pertinent questions about the quickening. I don't have Tuvans, I only have a car. Sloan says he doesn't care about that question, but instead asks how the disease could be accelerated. Naturally, Bashir suspects that Sloan wants Koval killed in a way that makes it look like the Romulan's illness took a turn for the worse. Sorry. I just got the two vans, Joe. I'm glad it got there eventually. Much like my car. Bashir decides to inform Admiral Ross, who plans to have Sloan arrested. Ross muses that Sloan could have an accomplice, or Romulus, to carry out the plan. Should that not be Romulan to carry out the plan? Ross muses that Sloan could have an accomplice on Romulus. Oh no, read it right, and it makes sense. To carry out the plan, as they are both watching Sloan, and orders Bashir into silence! The next morning, Bashir overhears that Ross has suffered from an aneurysm and spies Sloan looking smug at the next table. Bye, Bill. 
With nowhere else to turn, Bashir approaches Senator Kretek and tells her of his suspicions about Sloan. Kretek views the information as appalling at first, but believes Bashir's good intentions enough to help him by giving him classified Tal Shiar information. They're not very good spies, are they? Oh, you seem reasonable. I'll give you some classified intel. Bashir tries to delay Sloan's timetable by telling him he needs a tissue sample for confirmation of the diagnosis, as the visual symptoms could be from any number of diseases. Sloan has Bashir's hand treated with a micro-adhesive that will serve as a skin sample collector during a handshake. Bashir duct is tape. able to shake... He's got duct tape du- on his hand. <laughs> duct tape. <laughs> Bashir is able to shake Koval's hand, but is then immediately taken into Romulan custody and tortured. Bashir and Kretek are brought before a judicial committee where Koval elaborates on the plot to assassinate Koval and brings in a tortured Sloan. Koval says that Section 31 was the invention of a renegade Starfleet intelligence operative, Sloan, obsessed with getting revenge for his mentors, Vice Admiral Fujisaki's death. Koval says it is impossible to know whether Bashir was in on the assassination plot or a tool of Sloan. Well, he's a tool. The committee pronounces its sentences. Bashir is returning to... Bashir is returned to the Belafaron. I don't know if I said that right. Senator Kretak, that's it. Senator Kretak is convicted of committing an act of treason and will be sentenced later. Sloan is to be handed over to the Tal Shiar for further interrogation. Enraged, Sloan grabs a guard's disruptor, but Koval fires first, vaporizing him. Back in his quarters on the Bellafer, I love the sound effects. Back in his quarters on the Bellafer, Bashir, thank you. Bashir lies in bed and suddenly. Bashir lies in bed and suddenly realizes that he's being had. He marches off to meet with Admiral Ross and asks the whereabouts of Sloan. They agree to have an off-the-record conversation and make a point of removing their communication badges. Ross reveals that Sloan was to have been transported just before he was shot. He also reveals that Koval was working for Starfleet. What? Ross elaborates that the real mission was to get Koval onto the committee where he would advocate continuing the alliance with the Federation. He also admits that Senator Kretak was not a supporter of the alliance, as Bashir thought. Kretak is a patriot, and if she thought it in the best interest of the Romulans to abrogate the alliance, then she would pursue that avenue. Okay. Kretak will definitely... Whoopie-doopie, we have fun. Yes. Kretak will definitely be dismissed from the Senate and imprisoned and probably be executed for her role in the affair. This, thank you, this angers Bashir, which causes Ross to utter the quote from Cicero, inter arma enim silent leges. Bashir retorts, so is that what we have become? A 24th century Rome driven by nothing other than the certainty that Caesar can do no wrong? Mm-hmm. Ross picks up his communicator and pins it back onto his chest, saying that their conversation never happened. Bashir picks up his communicator and briefly looks at it as if he is willing to throw it back onto the table in disgust before exiting the room. Back aboard Deep Space Nine, Sloane shows up in Bashir's quarters, explaining that he needed a man of conscience for the operation, and the Federation needs men of conscience. Before he turns to leave, he adds that the Federation also needs men like Sloane to defend men like Bashir. 
Bashir initially calls Odo, but decides not to report Sloane's visit, instead reflecting on the words of Section 31's agent. The end of this episode. Boom. Um, for the most part, I quite enjoyed this one. I quite like when Deep Space Nine just political intrigue. There was a moment in it, though, where I felt it went a little bit too political intrigue, and I actually started losing what entirely was going on. And was slow, not a little bit Heath Ledger in this, in that he had plans within plans and wheels within wheels, and his plan really kind of necessitated knowing exactly what everyone would do at any one time. And then I kind of thought, well, if Ross is manipulating that as well, then that kind of works. But it does make Sloane seem perhaps a little bit more powerful than he should necessarily be. But overall, it, it was quite a good one. How I kind of liked. Fake... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say I, I kind of liked that even people like Ross, who we think are you know totally above board, uh, are not above doing business with people like Sloane, who we know are not. So I kind of like that aspect of it, and. To me, if there's any disappointment in this episode, it is based more on knowledge of what is to come than it is on this individual episode. I know that that it gets to be, you know, from this point forward, we start to go at breakneck speed a little bit. So in anticipation of that, it almost lessens this episode. But if you're watching this, you know, in order as they came out uh, with the episodes that preceded this, I think you'd be totally satisfied by this. And just as as a uh, an aside, the thing that I the reference I made during your speech, uh, during your uh, synopsis rather, is from the Go Go Gophers. If you don't remember that, it was uh, two uh, politically incorrect little Indian gophers, uh, and uh, the ca- the cavalry was trying to get them, and one spoke total gibberish, and the. Uh, the other one spoke normal and would say, you know, you got him plan. And he would go, and the guy would say, whoopee doopee, we have fun. So that's the reference I was making during your uh, synopsis. I think that might have been a little too esoteric for most. How do you fake an aneurysm? Boom! <laughs> you just slump over. And then, like, the doctor comes in and goes, there's nothing wrong with you. Wake up. Shut up. I'm ordering you to say I heard an aneurysm. It's an aneurysm. He's lucky Bashir didn't examine him, isn't he? Yeah, he'd be like, there's nothing wrong with this man. What kind of bullshit trickery is this? <laughs> That's a terrible Julian Bashir. Julian I say, old boy. He seems yeah, very naive. <laughs> oh, well, Julian's always been naive, hasn't he? I mean, for someone who is so into the James Bond type, he's just very naive with the whole thing. Yeah, you would think even somebody as unsophisticated as he is as far as figuring this stuff out would at least have a realization that there are things going on beyond his knowledge and ability and that he should always at least be suspicious. He should never accept anyone on their word, ever. And I certainly don't think that he should go to... um a Romulan and this let's be honest this working together is still only tentative on there being a bigger enemy out there and trust her with information I certainly don't think a Romulan would trust him with classified information no because they're smart well normally they are yeah not like people say smart and they deserve respect what if nobody Sloan gets my references anymore Thomas <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, the episode would have been 100% better, obviously. Yes, yes. I said. I said, boy. Andy does a lousy, lousy English accent. I do do a lousy English accent. You gotta stick with the Brooklyn. (laughs) Which is pitch perfect. Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) I'd like to know how they grab Sloan with those cat-like reflexes of his. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of double dealing, a lot of intrigue. Um, I never what, was what? like, you know, it. It's a very quick episode. It goes by fast. There's, there's no clock watching in this one. No. What did we think of Adrian Barbeau in her role? She was great. She was much better than the last actress to play Kreetak. Yeah, she brings an extra level of, uh, of um, depth. Slinkiness. Oh, sorry. I, w- I would have never, I would have never realized it was her if I didn't see it in the credits, though. Mm. Would you know? See, I, I recognize her mouth. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many places to go with that. Uh, yeah, I'm just gonna pass. Check, That's please. the wiser move. I just p- picture her in Creep Show, you know, but she gets mauled by the thing in the crate. Nobody saw that movie? Okay, moving on. I've, I've seen Creep Show. I always just think of Swamp Thing. Oh, that's Escape good. from New York. Oh. Yeah, Escape from New York is what I was thinking. The what fog, was the most uh, recent thing before this that we would be familiar with? Do we know? Batman and Batman, the animated series. What was the, the most recent thing where we would have seen her live action? Oh, I don't know, actually. So I guess once again we can talk a little bit about the necessity or what? Oh, not necessity of section 31 uh you know how 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 necessary is it to have a section that will handle the dirty work which clearly goes against you know gene roddenberry's vision of things i think in the real if if this was the real world even an idealized world like they're living in you still need somebody to do stuff like that Somebody at that wall. You want him at that. Wall. You need him at that wall. And what, what, to me, the, the surprise is that Ross is in on it. Yeah. You know, he he, he strikes us so far, but but so far in in his appearances, he's more of the typical Gene Roddenberry. Uh, you know, benefactor. Not even I can't even say typical admiral because most of the admirals on the Gene Roddenberry were, were doofuses who did stupid things. Uh, but he he seems very competent and also, you know, very moral. And yet he's willing to cross certain lines, which is probably more realistic than you know than we're used to. I was just because certainly in Star Trek, but we've never really had a Star Trek that's focused exclusively on a war before this. I mean, we would get that in Enterprise to a certain extent, but they never really followed through on on Scott Bakula having to make really really tough choices like that that I don't that I remember anyway. I think if you look look at someone like Eisenhower, who I, most, I like Tyke. Everybody liked Tyke. You like Ike, I like Ike. Everybody Bike likes liked Ike. Ike. People would probably say he was one of the mo- most straight-laced, honorable military men we've had. But you, as president, there were things that needed to be done that he ordered. Assassinations what? and that kind of thing. 
I think I think we've I think every president we've ever had has done some things behind the scenes that would probably make us question, uh, you know, the the. You know, when when yeah, I was going to say the pristine image, but certainly not all of our presidents have pristine images. But the ones who do, uh, I think we'd have there, – there are acts that we don't know about that would make us question that because I think they have to make morally ambiguous choices. Sometimes they have to decide, you know, of the, the needs of the, the many over the, the needs of the few or the one. See, and I think Admiral Ross is a character like that. Yeah, maybe he would wish we don't need to do this. But we need to do this. Mm-hmm. And, and it always makes you think, where do you draw the line? That's one of the things that I think this series of Star Trek has done better than any other one, is it's shown us that the line is very blurry and that, you know, there are no clear answers when, you know, lives are at stake. And sometimes the decisions that are made are not necessarily, you know, the nice guy decisions. But, I, you know, I, I think that that is, again, you know, where do you draw the line? At what point is Section 31 going too far? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to say. And it's, it's, it's nice to sit here and say, well, they should never break any of the rules. But, you know, then we would be under the uh, leadership of the Dominion right now. You know, I don't know if we ever said this before, but Section 31 is more like the CIA or the NSA of the Federation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they're doing things that, you know, plausible deniability. You know. What was it, the OSS during the war? No, it was the OSI. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> Making bionic people. Six million dollars, it's not bad. <laughs> no, but today's money, it's a bargain, isn't it? That might get you a bionic finger nowadays. <laughs> finger, finger nail. What's <laughs> that, a bionic pinky? You get to clean out your ear with it. <laughs> it like that episode of Family Guy where he had a whisk for a leg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was nice to see the USS Voyager here. Yes. yes. Being and, and the same sets. Repurposed sets. Well, you know, that's not bad. You know, no, no. What you have. Yeah, well, Star Trek 6 did it a lot, so. Yeah. Oh, they all did. And it seems perfectly acceptable use of uh, of resources to me. We've we've long established that same models of ship look exactly the same, and why wouldn't they? If you have the same model of car as your neighbour, it's exactly the same inside. So mine is cleaner. Well, yeah. Maybe that's what they should have. They should have a Voyager that's just a mess. It's got cigarette wrappers everywhere. A lot of empty water bottles. Still not <laughs> yeah, a lot of empty bottles in the in the footwell. Yeah. <laughs> Round where Tom Paris would sit. It's just got cans of coke. Energy, <laughs> drinks, energy drinks and Taco Bell wrappers. Oh, and all dented up. Yeah. <laughs> so it's crunch. Gotta keep so it was, Can you it was put nice this in a good by. spot in the dry dock next time? Because all this happened on my last visit to Deep Space Nine. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see them chain shifts on a starship. And say, are you gonna are you gonna move all the shit that you've left here? I hate you eating at this desk. I hate it. Go on, get your McDonald's wrappers and fuck off. <laughs> get your McNeelix wrappers out of here. <laughs> McNeelix. <laughs> I I 
imagine that Neelix opened a chain of stores called Mr. Vulcan? <laughs> the Happy Vulcan. Just, yeah, yeah, it's, it's like Plumic Soup and stuff like that. You think they Spark, still... Spark comes in and just throws it across the room and leaves. Yeah. <laughs> you think oh. they still make those little pine trees that they hang up on the ship? <laughs> they got a magic tree air freshener hanging in front of the view screen. <laughs> oh, God. You know, Discovery will give you these ideas for free. You know? Just put just some saying. duct tape on the seat. Nobody will notice. You know what? I wonder if one of the episodes of uh, the new... Vo- uh, what are they calling it? Strange Worlds? The new one? Yeah. That come out. I wonder Strange if do one of, like, Call it Second Shift, and it'll be a shift change. And it'll be like the you know the night crew on the Enterprise. Have so, they? I don't think they've t- done it. Henry Winkler and Michael Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> and Shelley Long. Yeah. They, they did a Below Decks one on The Next Generation, but I don't think they did one on the other shifts that man the bridge, because those people aren't up there 24 hours a day. Well, that, that, isn't that supposed to be one of the animated series that was well, in I development? Get, I think it's a Below Decks one. I don't think it's an actual, you know, like... Yeah, they've only, they've only mentioned it a couple of times. There's one episode where Deanna Troy is on duty on the night shift. And uh, it's because she it's at that point where she's looking to do her commander's exam. Yeah. So she's clocking in some extra hours on the night shift. She's basically working a double shift and that's to get she, some commander's she credits. into a like, monofilament. <laughs> yeah, into a charged vacuum embankment uh... or something like that. I gotta say, I think William Sadler is... Uh, he, he just fits the role perfectly. I, I, just really, keep wanting I... Him, I just keep wanting him to play chess with death. Yeah. <laughs> or, or to fight fight Bruce Willis on a wing. Yeah, but that, that would involve him doing all kinds of uh, Tai Chi in the nude. I don't think any of us want to see that. No, we could skip Ooh. the nude part. <laughs> I keep hearing him say, I have two words for you, F and U. <laughs> see, I prefer the what's his name version of that. I prefer the Robert De Niro version of that. Two words, f*** the f*** off. I thought, wasn't it, shut the fuck up? Shut the fuck up, yeah, which is funnier. <laughs> Two words. Anyway. bombs. Uh, oh, Dave, I'm so sorry. I do think William is working overtime. very well cast on, in this, and I think he plays the part perfectly because he's, it's like, you, you don't want to believe what he says, but he says it with such an air of authority mm. and confidence that you start questioning your own you know your own your own thoughts as to what reality is. I think he's perfect for the part. Uh, and and frankly, just mentioning the other things he was in, I think he's been pretty good in pretty much everything I've ever seen him in. And like Eisenhower, he goes on to be president. Yeah, in Iron Man three. Mm. I think the only the, the only real problem I have with this episode is it doesn't do it as well as they did in Pale Moonlight. Which it's essentially that's it. That's it. Setting the bar awful high. But essentially, it's the same story idea. Bashir realizes that you know bad shit's got to happen in times of war, otherwise other bad shit won't be prevented. And it was just far more compelling when when Cisco did it. And it's yeah, one of those well, things as well. Julian Bashir has grown considerably 
as an actor over the seven years that the, the show was being run in, but he still didn't pull off the angry rage yell at the end. I just didn't buy it. Whereas with Avery Brooks, when he's pissed off at you, you know that he's pissed off at you. Whereas yeah, he starts, Bashir, he Bashir hyperventilating. Yeah, yeah, Bashir just comes across like a, a petulant little child. Yeah, but he hasn't had... Okay, if we look at it character-wise, not acting-wise, if you look at it character-wise, Cisco, in his case, had more time to become angry. because, And he was more directly involved. Now, yes, Julian is directly involved, but he has no knowledge of all the intrigue and he's not responsible for all the intrigue. He only figures it out at the end that he's been had, whereas before he's believed and has been a participant and didn't have all the knowledge he gains at the end. So maybe if he had realized this all through it, he could have justified some more anger, I feel, or it would have built up more in his system. I whereas Cisco, that was the, over a course of, you know, like days that they were pl- planning that and, and you know... He had time to seethe on it and just, you know, get angrier and angrier. Whereas Bashir's like, wait a minute. I've been had. What? I like they throw out a reference to the USS Hornet. Throw back to the Tokyo raid. Bellerophon, where's that from, Andy? Ah, no, I couldn't even say it. That's from Forbidden Planet. That's the name of the ship. Yeah, but I'm sure it's just not from Forbidden Planet. It must have some Greek or whatever lineage somewhere, mustn't it? Oh, I'll look it up. Oh, Adrian Barbo. Yeah, she was in a lot. She was in TV just up prior to that. We might have seen her. There you go. It's Greek. Yeah, it's Greek. A fire-breathing mythical monster. Oh, no, he was a Greek hero oh. who beat the fire-breathing mythical monster. <laughs> the greatest hero in Oh, he rode, he rode Pegasus. Oh, yeah. There you go. So there you go. There's another Star Trek reference in Pegasus and a Battlestar Galactica reference. Galeron Everything comes from Greek. of Poseidon, although his natural father is usually called Glacius, making him the grandson of Sisyphus, the king of Corinth. Wow, I said all those correctly. How about that? Yay, me. Well done. Everything comes from Greek mythology, doesn't it? So uh, do, do we, uh, unless I missed something, we didn't discuss what this title means? Uh, no, not in... Not in this particular... I think we referenced it last time, didn't we? Inter arma enum silent legis? <laughs> yeah, it almost sounds like... Gleeping, glooping, glopping. Uh, but uh, apparently that is Latin for... In times of war, laws, laws are silent. So I guess that's talking about going kind of... That gray area and going over the line. I don't know if it's a common expression. I don't see anywhere... Oh, here we go. War. <laughs> Wikipedia actually does have a section for it. It says, This aphorism was first written in these words by Cicero in his published oration, uh, Pro Malone, but Cicero's actual wording was, Silent enum aegis inter arma. At the time that Cicero used the phrase, mob violence was common. Armed gangs led by partisan leaders controlled the streets of Rome. Nevertheless, such leaders were elected to high offices. Interesting. Fascinating, actually. I was just reading about an, uh, Abraham Lincoln. Or Abraham Lincoln requests 
Abraham Lincoln's request for an opinion on suspension <coughs> of the right of habeas corpus during the American Civil War resulted eventually in the following decision, ex parte Merriman of Chief Roger J. Taney as a judge of the United States Circuit Court that the president cannot suspend the privilege of writ of habeas corpus nor authorize a military officer to do it. That a military officer has no right to arrest or detain a person not subject to the rules and articles of war except in aid of the judicial authority and subject to its control. So all of that to me says blah, 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 blah. I I think, but I guess the whole idea is exceeding your authority because it's a time of war. I guess that's really the bottom line of that particular expression. And it certainly would be fitting for this, but it seems does seem a tad pretentious to me. Well, Star Trek has a history of unpretentious titles, doesn't it? You mentioned For the World is Hollow last time. Mm-hmm. And let that be your last battlefield is a little bit pretentious. And, I mean, I'd certainly rather have a pretentious title that falls a bit flat than the later Next Generation or Voyager titles. The Thor, The Void, Pegasus, The Wormhole. <laughs> you know, I'd rather have a title so that's you, actually had You'd rather have the, the intellectual title that kind of seems pretentious and falls short of the intellectualism they're shooting for than the simpleton title. Yeah. All right, I can't argue with that. At least I mean, they're uh, trying, is what you're at saying. At least they're trying, yeah. I mean, somebody once did a thing, I can't remember where I read it, but they made all of the original series titles as if they were Voyager episodes. <laughs> and it, it, it was it was literally something like The City on the Edge of Forever became The Donut of Time and stuff like that. <laughs> If we were going to Voyager this one up, what would we call it? <laughs> this one? Yes. Uh, traitor. Traitor? Oh. Yeah, why not? How about, how about if we try to be really slick and we say pra- traitor rhymes with praetor? <laughs> <laughs> it could be a uh, naked gun title. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only other thing I'm... Naked Traitor? That'd do. The Naked Traitor, yes. I didn't have Six of Nine walking around worrying not very much. The only other... We never met Six of Nine, did we? Did we know? Was it Seven of Nine? (laughs) No, Six of Nine. I I thought you were making... A little sister. Sixty-nine, six of nine. That's what I thought so you six, were going. Six with. of nine would have been. That, did Mad Magazine not call a six of nine? Because there was, was, really was seven of nines. Was seven of nines promiscuous little sister? I was going to say six of nine was in the Voyager porn porn parody. Right. Okay. I knew it was too good to have just made up. Those titles were like the probe, the opening, <laughs> the orifice, the orifice. <laughs> But then again, doesn't Spock say in Star Trek the motion picture, we are probing its orifice, sir? Giant undulating vagina, I don't know what is. We may be be hitting the point where we have to rate this one. (laughs) Hold on, I I did have one other thing that I thought was interesting. Somebody postulated the idea. It's totally safe for work. Somebody postulated the idea, what if Cisco knew Ross was working with Section 31? I think Cisco uh, would protest too much if he made too big a deal out of it after In the Pale Moonlight. Mm, but he, he kind of is responsible for the Romulans being brought into the war in the first place. Uh-huh. And it's, so, it's, due, it's due to acting in a very Section 31-type way. 
But does Ross know that Cisco did that? No, I don't think he does. Hmm. I just thought it may have been interesting. But if I think. Cisco, but my my point is, did, Cisco can only be so holier than thou and throw to so many stones. And I think, to some extent, Cisco has a level of respect for Ross that he might give him a slight benefit of the doubt before he totally uh, went against him. Mm-hmm. I think he'd approach him. I think he'd approach him and talk to him. I find out we, what his reasoning was. No, I think we agree that I thought he he put that up the chain and they kind of were like they just let him say, "Okay, do what you got to do." If it, but if it fails, it's on you, buddy. Yeah, so, no, my my point about that is that not that Ross uh, backed him up, but that he's already acted in an in a section 31 type manner. Uh, so he can't now get up on a high horse and say, you know, I am better than this, and you are doing the wrong thing. Right, he shouldn't be casting stones. Exactly. He would just say so I think Julian, he'd have to look at it more carefully and see say, what's what's his what's his motivation in working with Section 31, and does it make sense? You need to keep this to yourself. Don't tell your mother. Yeah. And there's an interesting there's interesting um, parallels there between Bashir is a big fan of spy stuff in the 60s, but when he's thrown into a real spy story. He realizes how morally ambiguous reality of spying is. Mm-hmm. So maybe there isn't another character who couldn't have done it as well as he did it. Yeah, well, when he's in it as a fictional entity and as really effectively as a game, uh, it's all fun and he has all the answers. And like you say, it's not morally ambiguous. But when he does it for real, he doesn't have all the answers. All of a sudden, it becomes so much more complex, and it's just not fun anymore. Mm. Although I, I do think he's intrigued by the whole process, even though. Yeah, because Sloan says you're a man who loves secrets, medical, personal, fictional. I think Sloan reads him well, actually. The thing well, is, that Julian should not be surprised when stuff goes. It seems like he's legitimately shocked. I am shocked and appalled to see gambling going on here. Hmm. <laughs> Have we ever seen these dress uniforms before? I don't. I oh don't God, yeah, the ones that make oh, them yeah. look like they they should be serving me dinner. They should be on the love boat. Yeah. Insurrection, is it that they were these? Yeah. Yep, right. Yep, yep. Or is it at Wesley's wedding? Wesley's wedding, I think. It's not, it's not Wesley's, Wesley's wedding. wedding. Yeah, Riker's wedding. Riker's wedding. Isn't that, yeah. Isn't that the same thing? No. It's the same. I think it's the same uniform. No, right. No, 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 but, I think but you're I guess, right. Yeah, Oh yeah, that was two different two different movies. Yeah, yeah but they, I think it's the same dress uniform. Yeah. I do feel like the guy should be coming out with my chicken when I see them in these um, these uniforms. Yeah, they do they do look maitre d like. Go back to Picard in the skirt one. Oh God. <laughs> or Riker wearing nothing but feathers. Oh please. <laughs> Ratings? Uh, three and a half. Alright, you, you've just expressed my thoughts. That's exactly what I had already written down for myself. I think it's it's an intriguing episode. It's a little it's back somewhat to uh, you know, the the overreaching storyline. And you know, it, it's it's interesting to watch. Uh, but you know, it's not one of the stellar stellar top episodes, so it's above average and that gives it a 3.5. Mm. 
I give it three and a half disintegrated, not disintegrated Sloans. Isn't one enough? No, we gotta have three and a half disintegrated, not disintegrated Sloans. How did they beam him out bit by bit? Um, I'll Very carefully. They could have just... Yeah, that's what they did. No, 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 shut up. Caval had a... Uh, they put a hologram over him and hid the actual beam out under the hologram and then dissolved the hologram to make it appear he disintegrated. But they should have done that... You know, when he... you know, Like in Star Trek 2. Like, I would have uh, gone for the, for the Star Trek the motion picture beaming accident. They should have just sent a clone in. Send in the clones. <laughs> Send in the clone Sloan. Where is he now? Where is the Sloan? I give it three and a half clones. Clone Same clones. Sloan clones. Wow, what if Section 31 is nothing but Sloan clones? That would be great. <laughs> Sloan, 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 Sloan. And what if it's run by Arvin Sloan? It'd be funny if they were all walking around Eric, going... I think only you and I got that. <laughs> well, that's the way I like my jokes, to be honest with you. I had to dig for a second and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, okay, Alias, got it. Ron Rifkin. Yes. Another creepy guy. But not as creepy as the guy who played his clone. On Alias. Oh, yeah, that was Joel Grey? Yeah. Ah, oh, look at me. Look at me just pulling these things out. Look at you coming through with the knowledge. Yeah. Ask me something, <laughs> like, really important later. Ask you ah. something useful. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, dear. Is that everyone's ratings? About three and a half? Okay. Dave, Dave didn't give his. Oh, all right. Three, yeah, I did. Three, yeah, three yeah, and a half. half. That's yeah, how we got the clone Sloans, or Sloan clones, or whatever. Sloan okay. clone fooey. <laughs> Number one super guy. <laughs> Quicker than the human eye. Ka-cha-chong, ka-cha-chong. Ka-cha-chong, It's not offensive at all. <laughs> this is not a Hong Kong fooey podcast. Wow, this is just really a bad episode, isn't it? No, it's a great episode. Let's see if we can get Scatman Crothers to play Sloan. That oh. would be great. Please, just get Scatman Crothers in anything. I mean, it'd be difficult now, obviously. I was going to say, what, are we going to put him in the next Resident Evil movie? or? You know? uh, yeah. Oh, uh, okay. so uh, I guess uh, I guess we're going to wonder what... Um, what, what would Blaine say? say? <laughs> what does Send he the Blaine's. say? Blaine says, Hi guys, here it is. The last standalone episode of the series. The last ten episodes form what is to what is the longest story arc in the Trek franchise to date. Though I suspect Enterprise may have gone this route had it also made it to season seven. We get the return of Section 31 and a nice reminder about their existence and Sloane's character right before the end. We learn that they are known to Starfleet Brass and that they may even have the tacit support of some people, such as Admiral Ross. 
we also get to see that they are using Bashir completely knowing what kind of person he really is and knowing that he will only play the role up to a certain point. It's a good episode and one that puts the last piece of the puzzle in place before the big finale. It's also the last of the episodes I missed the first time around. 163 down, 10 to go. I can't wait to watch them, but I'm in no hurry to be out of Deep Space Nine to watch. Blaine. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I kind of agree. I think he kind of said exactly, you know, in, in, in brief form what we were talking about. So I would say, uh, yeah. Right on point. Anyway, that's it for that email and this episode. But do we have any other email that we want to read? I don't know because I can't get it up. <laughs> well, I'll read a short one from Matthew. I'm not sure exactly how he pronounces his last name. Gilliland? I would say that's correct. It says, uh, talking about Qless. So he's way, way back. I agree that this episode was terrible, but not because of Bosch or Vosh. The problem is that this is a Q episode, or more accurately, Q is in it, but it has nothing to do with him. I went into this expecting commentary on how we aren't the center of the universe, or him messing with them prank style. Instead, he's absolutely wasted. Thanks, Matthew. Yeah, I think if, if my memory serves me correctly, I think we were all pretty uh, pretty down on that particular episode. <coughs> Right now, uh, let me just take a quick look at the spreadsheet if I can. If I can, Qless, uh, Sean gave it a three, Andy gave it a two, and I gave it a one. So we had a countdown on it. <laughs> so that's that's pretty bad. Uh, yeah, I didn't think that was a good episode at all. <laughs> Don't know where to go from there. Nice to see Cisco punch Q in the face, though. That was the best part. And then when he says, Picard never did that. I'm not Picard. We surrender. <laughs> if he were Picard. So that's it for this week. What are we doing next time? Next time, a real new episode of Listen to the Prophets. It's the home stretch. We've done it. Part one of the 10 part series conclusion, Penumbra, is next week. Or in two weeks, whenever the shit gets released. In the shadows of war. Your mission is to gather data about the Romulan leadership. Allies become enemies. I can't trust anybody. And espionage turns to murder. These are not nice people we're dealing with. But for Dr. Bashir, going undercover. Remember, this isn't a game. Is a matter of life. We have to warn them. And death. This can be painful or not. That's up to you, Doctor. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Works for me. All right, so that's it. Take care, everybody. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. We're done now. <laughs> Send in the bills. <laughs> Listen to the Prophets. A Deep Space Nine podcast is a two true freaks presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the 2TrueFreaks.com website, where if you click the little link that we have there, it will take you straight through that site, and whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. 
We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. The fog there, that's what it is. There's none of that at the minute. We've got rid of humanity and everything's gone back to great. It's brilliant. We don't believe that. There's always fog and you can see Big Ben out of every window.